If you brought your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. Of course, we have the text printed in your worship booklets as well. Our text this morning will be the first 33 verses of the chapter. Uh, last time we finished the story of Abraham and properly this section that begins in this chapter and extends to chapter 36 really is a cycle that focuses on Jacob. We even saw that last time, the, the prophecy that was spoken concerning the two children in Rebekah's womb, that the older would serve the younger. But this chapter, chapter 26, really is the, the one chapter where we focus in on Isaac, uh, this child of promise, we see him as an adult, and we see uh, that just as Abraham cer had certain patterns of sin, uh, so Isaac did as well. And yet, the gospel promises held out to Abraham so long ago were also extended generationally to Isaac as well. It's going to be a lesson for us uh, that the gospel of Jesus Christ moves from Generation to generation, there's a covenant succession of God's mercy and grace, which gives us great hope. But in order to see all of that this morning, we need God's help. So let's ask him for it. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come as your people this morning, desiring to hear from you. We desire to hear the word of the Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray, come. Open our eyes of faith this morning that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Genesis chapter 26 and beginning in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gaar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gaar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man and his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. And he had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. 
Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gaar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gaar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Isaac, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that as well. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gaar with Azuzhath, his advisor, and Philcol, his commander of his army, Isaac said to them, why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug and said to them, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Bear Sheba to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know you know this, but sometimes you run across conviction in some of the most unusual ways. I remember one day several years ago now, I was flipping the radio channels and ended up on the country radio station and heard this song by Rodney Atkins called Watching You. You, you might remember the song or know the song. It, it begins with the singer and he's driving through town and he has to stop real quick at a, at a stoplight and as he does so, his child's in the back, his four-year-old's in the back eating his Happy Meal, and he spills his Happy Meal, and his son curses. And the dad asks the question, son, now where'd you learn to talk like that? To which the child says, well, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. Well, rightly, the father is mortified. And so as the song goes, he goes to his barn and he says, I bowed my head and I prayed real hard and I said, Lord, please help me help my stupid self. What well, bedtime later that night, as the song goes on, the child goes by his bed and he gets down on his knees and he talks to God like he was talking to, an, to a friend. And when his dad asks him where he learned to pray like that, the child replies, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. Now, that song is convicting. Uh, each time I hear it, I wonder, 
about the ways in which my own children are like me in my failures. Unwittingly picking up patterns and habits that, that I would be mortified if I could just simply see them, see what I see in me in them. But, but the song also points to a measure of hope, doesn't it? That, that because the grace of God comes to me, it might come to them as well. Of course, we don't need to go to a country song to find that out. That's right here in this passage. In fact, it's all throughout Scripture, but especially here in Genesis 26, in this place in the Bible. Uh, as we read it together, undoubtedly, you saw how Isaac is like his father Abraham. Perhaps as the scene plays out, you're, you're kind of in your head at least thinking, what are you doing? Why are you saying this? Why are you repeating the same foolishness and the same sin as your father Abraham? You know, both by nature and perhaps by nurture, both internal and external, you look at Isaac and we might be able to say, Oh, like father, like son. But we look at this and we might get discouraged with our own hearts. Um, we might even be tempted to despair a little bit. Really? I mean, is that what this is telling me? That my sin patterns will, will inevitably be passed on to my children and they, they won't progress past me? They won't actually be able to change? Are they simply fated to, to follow in my patterns? Or perhaps you've, you've already seen it as your children have grown up and now they're adult children. And they've wrestled with things internally or wrestled with things externally that are just like things you faced. And, and perhaps you wonder, what, well, is there any hope? Any hope for, for real change in the generations after me? Well, we have to say, I mean, Generational sin is real. There is a covenantal connection between us and our children after us. And it does cause the patterns to be impressed upon them. But this, this place in the Bible gives us hope as well. Because the same grace and the same gospel that's been offered to us in Jesus Christ is also offered to them. And the promises that have been offered to us have been offered to them. And the, the promises that are true for us are true for them as well. That those who turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ, there is the possibility of things being made new. If any man's in Christ, the Apostle Paul says, new creation, new beginning, new life. And so we're not fated to replicate patterns of sin over and over again. Rather, for those who trust in Jesus Christ, we might be able to say, yes, like father, like son. You see how that plays out here in Genesis chapter 26. We see how Isaac encounters the same problems as his father Abraham. Now, we, we've seen these problems before. One is internal to Isaac, his own sin. What, the other is external to Isaac, the opposition that he faces, but really it's, it's the same set of problems that his father had. And it's, we begin to wonder, is it possible for Isaac to be a, a covenant successor? Will he keep covenant with God, even as God proves faithful to him? You, you see the internal challenge, and it has to do with Isaac's wife, Rebecca. You know, like in Genesis chapter 12, after, after God made promises to Abraham... 
What did Abraham do? Do you remember? Well, there's a famine in the land, and, and Abraham went off to Egypt. And Moses, in writing this chapter, explicitly refers back to Genesis chapter 12. Very first verse, now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the day of Abraham. But unlike Abraham, Isaac listens to God. He doesn't go down to Egypt. He remains in the promised land in Gihar. Unfortunately, while he's there, he's, he's troubled by the same fear and ultimately sins in the same way as his father. You see it in verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gaiar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, Lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. You see the sin? He's fearful of the men of the place. He presumes that they're godless and they will kill him. And so he lies. He straight up lies about his relationship with Rebecca. At least, at least Abraham had the, the benefit of, it, of fudging the truth. Sarah was Abraham's half-sister, but, but Isaac and Rebecca are cousins. There is no possible sibling relationship here. He's simply lying to protect himself. Thankfully, nobody approaches Rebecca, and, and the entire scheme is up when they're caught in a, in a public display of affection. You see it in verse 8. Uh, when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. If you look at the ESV footnote there, it says the Hebrew may suggest an intimate relationship. This was a public display of affection. Verse 9, so Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. It's all too familiar. It's the same lie, the same justification, the same failure, the same sin. You know, some of us know what that's like. As we've wrestled with, with anger or lust, or we've wrestled with uh, anxiety or financial mismanagement or racism or whatever the sin might be, and then as our children grow up, we begin to see those same patterns and those same sins. And we say, oh no, it's just like father, like son. It's the same pattern all over again. These internal struggles and these inter internal sins. But, but Isaac doesn't simply deal with this, this in, internal set of problems. There's external ones as well. The opposition that comes over these wells. It's striking that even after Abimelech confronts Isaac, Moses doesn't pause. He tells us almost immediately that, that Isaac has a huge bumper crop, hundredfold, a remarkable yield, and he becomes incredibly wealthy, and, and he looks incredibly blessed. So much so that the people around him become jealous and envious, and, and he's driven away. Verse 15, now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. You see it there. Those wells that Abraham had actually negotiated for, had actually given uh, animals in pledge for. Oh, after Abraham dies, his enemies came. His opponents came and filled those wills back up again. 
what did Isaac do? Did he, did he call up all of his servants to wage war? No. He relents. He doesn't fight it. He leaves uh, Abimelech in his territory and he goes back to those wells and tries to reopen them again. In fact, one of the reopenings successful and it causes a great quarrel. It's not until they find the third well, Rehoboth, that they find some measure of peace. But it's striking that the same sense of opposition plagues Isaac. The same problems that Abraham experienced both internally and externally. That's, that's what Isaac is having to deal with. It's like father, like son. And yet that's not all the, this place in the Bible tells us. It, it doesn't simply tell us that the generations after us will have the same sin struggles, the same opposition, the same problems. No, the, the far greater message here is, yes, we may follow, find the same problems, but we also have the same promises, these same covenant promises that, that promise us the same grace that comes from our God. You know, you see these, these promises in the way that God renews his covenant with Isaac. I mean, all along, from as the Abraham story unfolds, and especially in Genesis 21, we, we know that Isaac is, in fact, the chosen child. He's the inheritor of all that Abraham had been promised. But here in chapter 26, we see how God renews his covenant. And the promises that he's made to Abraham, he now gives those same promises to Isaac. Did you see it? Verse 3, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. The same promises. Back in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. You're going to have a great name. Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Isaac, those promises are coming to you. A great nation. You're going to have offspring. In fact, the same imagery. They'll be like the stars in the heavens. Well, Isaac, that's going to be true of you. Offspring and land, a great nation, great name. Through you, all the nations will be blessed. But not just for you. Four times the word offspring is used. There's this generational succession, this covenant succession. God is continuing to care for Abraham and the generations after him. And it's the same promise of gospel grace. But friends, that's not true just in the Old Testament. That's true for us today. I mean, we've seen it already and we've heard it here in this baptism. When the littles came, there were promises that were made as, as the generations before them had heard of Jesus and taught them the ways of Jesus. They too were making those same promises before you in a cloud of witnesses to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And our great hopes is that the generations after them will hear the same gospel and hear the same promises and receive the same grace. The New Testament points us in just this direction. The Apostle Peter, on the day of Pentecost, as he's preaching to the nations, what does he say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. 
for all who are far off, for all whom our Lord, the Lord our God will call. Who's the promise for as, as Peter's preaching for the nations? Not just for them, but for their children after them. Likewise, as, as the pagan Philippian jailer comes running down the stairs after his house was shook, and he says to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What was the gospel that was preached to that Philippian jailer? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. You see, it's the same gospel grace, the same covenant promises that were held out to to the first generation, extended to the next and the next and the next, all the way down to us today. The same gospel. Friends, don't you see? Your, your children after you, your grandchildren, they're not fated to follow in the same patterns and the same problems and the same sins. Neither are you. You're not fated to follow in the patterns of your fathers and your grandfathers and your great-grandfathers. And perhaps you, you didn't have the benefit of a godly heritage. Perhaps you weren't raised within the sound of the gospel and in the context of the church. And you've wrestled deeply and profoundly with sinful patterns. There's freedom for you today if you run to Jesus Christ. Because the covenant promises are true and real and for you. And all that's necessary is to run to Jesus. And to say, Jesus, these promises, they've got my name on them. Lord, please grant that I might trust in you that I might receive that grace. Well, for Isaac, to hear the covenant renewed and have the promises extended to him was a great grace. But he needed it not just once. He needed not just a covenant renewal. He needed covenant reminders. I mean, for us, it comes in the preaching of the word. I mean, week by week, as we, as we gather for corporate worship, why do we need this? Why do we need the preaching of the word week by week? Because we forget, don't we? We go through this world and we, we're, we're pounded by the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and pride of life. And, and we're surrounded by all our fears and anxieties and, and the rhythm and, and challenge of our weeks. And, and we lose sight of what is true. We don't hold fast to that for which we've been held fast. For my birthday, my wife gave me this bracelet and, and actually etched into the buckle are the words, hold fast. I mean, why is that important? Why, why do I look at this all the time? Because I need, to, I need to hold fast to the gospel. And so do you. We need those reminders, don't we? And they come in the preaching of the word, just like it did for, for Isaac. God, God came to him and spoke the word of the Lord to him. After he wrestles about these wells and he wonders about the opposition that he's facing and is he fated to continue to struggle, what does the Lord do? Well, verse 23, from there he went up to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, verse 24, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Do you hear what he says? Notice, God, God reminds Isaac who he is. He says, I am the God of Abraham. Not just the God of Abraham, I'm the God of your father. But he, as we hear it with, with the rest of the Bible ears, I am Yahweh, God of Abraham. 
The God who was, the God who will be, is the God who's present with you now. That's who I am. And because of this, God reminds Isaac what that means for him. Do not be afraid. Don't fear. I'm with you. Because of who I am, you need not fear the opposition around you or the sin within you. Because I'm with you. And God reminds him of what I've, he's promised him. I will bless you. The promises that I made at the beginning, I will surely keep. Now, God said this already. The first time he said it should have been enough. And yet God condescended to, to Isaac's weak capacity by reminding him, by giving this covenant reminder in the word of the Lord. Well, that's what he does for us. God comes to us over and again with the same promises. You've heard it before. I'm not telling you anything new. Every week I'm pointing you to Jesus and his grace and the gospel. But friends, that's what you need to hear. You need to hear that our God is great and gracious and good. And he will surely keep his promise to rescue you in the last day. Some of you need to hear that again and again. And allow that gospel to take deep root in the midst of all of your anxiety and all of your sin and all of your fear and all of your struggle. To know that the one who has grasped hold of you will not let you go. Even if you can't hold fast, he will. It's the same promises. The same promises from previous generations all the way back to Isaac's time. They're your promises as well. And in case you doubt, there's the same proof. Over and again, God gives us various evidences and various proofs that the God who's, who's made promises has kept them and will surely keep them again. He does that for Isaac, having, having protected him and provided for him up to this point. After God appears to him and reminds him of his covenant promises, what does he do? Well, in verses 26 to 31, he, he gives him protection. The protection of the renewal of, of Abimelech's covenant with Abraham's family. He's already made a covenant, hasn't he? Abimelech, back in chapter 21, he made promises to Abraham not to attack him or his family. God says, though they hate you, I'm going to make sure that you're protected. You're going to have a military compact. I'm going to care for you. There's protection here, but there's also provision. After this, this covenant is made with Abimelech, you can almost hear the, the joy of Isaac's servants as they find a well that they've dug is full of water uh, for someone who's, who's a shepherd and a herdsman to hear, we have found water is a signal proof of God's continued care. But friends, you have the same kinds of proof over and again. You've seen how God has kept his promises to you. For some of you, you can testify to a clear dividing line before you knew Jesus Christ and after. Before you knew Jesus Christ, his word was nothing to you. Church was a drudgery to you or you didn't want to be part of a church. You couldn't even struggle against your sin. You were slave to your sin. But now, now because of faith in Jesus Christ, you can't get enough of his word. You delight to be with God's people. And when the devil comes with his temptations and seeks to stir your desires, you're able to say no. Why? What made the difference? God's grace did. He's kept his promises to you. He's delivered you countless times. 
countless times. If you were to have heaven's veil pulled back so that you could actually see the various ways in which God has protected your life, you would be stunned and amazed. Friends, there have been protections that you are unaware of. Proofs of God's continued care for you. And indeed, he's provided for you over and again. Not just in your daily bread, food for your meals, but in all the different ways that you've needed friendship and encouragement and support and ballast for your soul in times of depression and struggle. Over and again, God has been there for you. You can point to the times. And in fact, in times of struggle, in times of sorrow, that's exactly where God has shown himself mighty. For others of you, you have a godly heritage. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents who love Jesus and now it's come to you and you've seen your children, your grandchildren, some of you, your great-grandchildren following the Lord and you're able to say with John, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. What is that but a signal proof of God keeping his promises and caring for you? Friends, hasn't God in Christ given you daily proof, daily proof, daily evidence that he loves you and he cares for you and he has kept his promises and will keep them to the end? I mean, shouldn't you reason from that? But yes, though I struggle with these patterns and sins, and though I'm fearful at times for the next generations after me, my God has not forsaken me. He's been a father to me. He is changing me into the, the very lightness of his son so that I'm able to say, and I trust that I will be able to say of my own children as they follow after Jesus Christ, like father, like son. May God make it so. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do bless you for the fact that your promises are true. They are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Because as we're going to sing, it's your oath, your covenant, your blood that supports us in the whelming flood. When all around our soul gives way, you then are all our hope and stay. Oh, Lord Jesus, mediator of the presence of the triune God, we do pray that you would be our solid rock this morning and that you would grant us a sure confidence that you are changing us into your own image, the very image of the triune God, and you are one who is making us like our Heavenly Father. Grant us such confidence and grace, we ask, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.